Hello, lovely listeners. My name is Makafwi Ochichum. I'm a drama therapist living in France, and welcome to The Link Platform. So The Link Platform is a podcast dedicated to telling the stories of international students, and this is in hopes of uh, mobilizing, innovating, nurturing, and developing the international community. And joining me on today's show is Eddie Salapi, and he is a Ghanaian student studying in the UK. Hello, Eddie. Hello, McCaffrey. How are you? I'm doing well. And how are you? Yeah, I'm also doing great. How has your week been? Oh, it's been a great, been a great week. Um, been doing a lot of babysitting lately. <laughs> Because just okay. before just before I got back for the holidays, our nanny had left and so Okay. To, yeah. Oh then more parts your elbow. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for joining us on our platform today. And we hope You're I welcome. am looking for looking forward to a wonderful conversation with you. Same here actually. I'm also looking forward to in fact it's a it's a great platform I think you have and uh, think I see it as a thank privilege you. to also be invited to be on here actually. So thank you as well. Thank you very much. So let's dive right into it. Please introduce yourself to our listeners. Tell us about you, um, the school that you are in, what you are doing, all the information. Hello again, listeners. Um, my name is Edward Afri Salaki, PhD student currently at the University of Sussex in Brighton, UK, in the UK. Um, my PhD is around the area of data science and machine learning. Or should I use a much more common word, which is the buzzword now is artificial intelligence or AI. So my research is around that field. And specifically, I try to see how we can predict or forecast disaster before it happens using satellite images of the Earth. And so basically, that's what my research is about. Currently, focusing on the eastern uh, part of Africa, so we're trying to see if we can use satellite images and some on-ground information to help predict, you know, droughts for pastoralists and farmers in the eastern part of Africa. So that is what basically I do for my research. Okay, thank you for that enlightenment. <laughs> so tell us, how did you, how has your journey been, or what was the journey to being an international student in the UK? So well, the journey started in 2017. <clears throat> well, even even before then, I had. Uh, I had the opportunity to travel with my, so I, before I actually got into my PhD, I used to work at the University of Ghana at a center called the West Africa Center for Crop Improvement. I used to be the IT officer there. And in 2017, we actually had an opportunity to travel to the U.S., to Cornell University to be specific, to go meet some of our collaborators out there because we're about to set up some, uh, something they call the bioinformatics lab. Mm-hmm. at the center and so i had the opportunity to go interact with people and um prior to that i had done my master's and i had also gained a lot of interest in the field of data science and machine learning uh, if you need more explanation on what these things mean maybe i could go deep into that but then um i had i, I did my my master's and i focused on data science machine learning and so when i went to the u.s with the team in 2017 they were talking about how we could apply this data science and machine learning mm-hmm. in the field of ag- agricultural science. And so I spoke to them and I got a lot of insights into how this uh, machine learning things could be applied in the field of agricultural science. And so as soon as we came back, okay. a colleague of mine sent me a link that, you know, there was this scholarship where they were looking for people with a background in machine learning and a background in agricultural science. And I thought, oh, wow, 
this is something I had just gone to discuss, you know, with some yeah. people in the US. And so they asked us to write, you know, a little, a short statement about ourselves and ambitions and goals and more of like a statement of purpose or something like that. And so, and so based on the exposure I'd gotten from the US, I was able to write a lot of things concerning how to apply, you know, this data science in the field of agri. And I thought the scholarship was quite unique because I, I had my first degree in agricultural science and my second degree with my master's was wow. in the field of inf information systems. And then I also had the chance to do some data science and machine learning as part of my master's. And so I thought the scholarship just came to right at the, at the perfect time. It's more of like preparation meeting opportunity. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And so it's just, just a typical example of that. And so I applied and I didn't even think of getting it, but then actually I applied and prayed and waited. And so the day of the deadline, that they said they were going to give us, like, get back to the applicants and tell them whether they had got the scholarship or not, came to pass, and I didn't hear from them, so I just forgot about it, and I thought, okay, this was one of those scholarships that I didn't get. And then a week after, early morning, I got to my office car park, and then I saw an, an email from the scholarship people on my phone. So when I checked and I saw that I had gotten the scholarship, and I was like, and I was so excited and even confused. Yeah. <laughs> I was so excited, I was just pacing on the car park, up and down and people were asking me what was wrong i said oh nothing <laughs> so i quickly called my wife informed her and so yeah so that's how it started and then and so they told me i had to apply to so the scholarship um while you're applying for the scholarship you get to choose some projects that you want to work on okay so the project that i chose was the project that i'm currently doing doing okay in the eastern africa with using satellite images and machine learning you know combining these two fields and yeah. this that particular research was was a proposal that was submitted by two professors in the University of Sussex. So as soon as I won the scholarship, the scholarship wrote to me that I should apply to University of Sussex. So I didn't actually oh, choose okay. University of Sussex. But then, okay. Yeah, the scholarship. Yeah, the scholarship recommended that since in my application for the scholarship, I chose that project. That that project is in the University of Sussex. So start your application to us towards admission in the, at the University of Sussex. Mm. So I started the application and then the supervisors who wrote the project got back to me, they interviewed me here and then eventually um, I got my admission letter and then I had to go and apply for my visa and then get to the UK and then start my PhD. So that, that has been the journey actually, yeah. That has yeah. been the journey. Interesting yeah. journey. Very interesting. So now that you, we know that you had your undergraduate education and master's both in Ghana, you are currently doing your PhD. You are two years into your PhD, if I'm right? Yes, I'm two years or say I'm currently in my third year actually. But then just a point of correction, my, my master's was not, even though my master's I did it in Ghana, it was still um, a University of Reading, UK master's actually. Oh, okay. So were, it okay. was a distant It was a distant. A distant Okay. Yeah, and so even though I did it in Ghana, I was an uh, international. So I actually had to go. So in 2016, I actually went to the UK to finish my master's and graduate in the UK. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's good. Then you've had um, different experiences because you went to the um, UK for your master's at some point, went back to yeah. Ghana, and then you came back for your PhD. Yes, yes. Okay. So comparing the um, learning, teaching and learning process, both in Ghana for your master's and then for your PhD, how has it been? Well, it's been, I would say it's been very interesting and uh, the differences, I mean, were very clear. So 
if I, when I started my master's, which was, I was saying was part, part Ghana, part UK, I was in the same university with the University of Ghana student because it was okay. the, in, the University of Reading was using the University of Ghana campus as their campus as well. Okay. And so what, one thing I realized was that when the semester started, the Ghanaian students were more interested in getting past questions and getting ready for exam at the end of the semester. That is what students were more, mainly focused on. They were not actually focused on what we are going to learn throughout the semester, but rather hmm. right the first week, everybody was thinking about getting past questions because they're just thinking about passing exams. Whilst on the, on the other hand, and um, for my course, right from the beginning, they made us aware that our masters, we're not going to write any exams, but then at the end of every course, you're going to be given some problem to solve. And okay. so your marks will be your marks will be based on, you know, how you're able to solve that problem and write a report on it. And so that is how the course was. And so I realized that the UK training was more practical and it was more hands-on instead of just teaching you the theory. Even though they teach you the theory, they give you practical problems yeah. to solve. And that is what that is what you are graded on. And so by the end of my master's, I felt that I had learned so much that I could do okay. so much. Yes, and not just the fact that just knowing the theory, but then also knowing how to apply them. And so yeah. that's how come right, right after my master's, I had actually done some real-time data analysis with some real-world data. I had done some, built some machine learning models with some real-world data. And so I, I was ready for the job market. I felt very ready for the job market. But, that's, how come, that's how come I actually gained interest in the field of machine learning and also, you know, managed to go on and run out doing the same thing for my PhD. Wow, that's interesting. Which means that um, academically, there was not a lot of adjustment that you had to do when you started your PhD because you've had an experience of the um, international teaching and learning, if I'm yes, right. Yes, I've, uh, yes, I've had some experience with that. And so I didn't have to adjust a lot. The, the only thing was that but for the PhD, it was um, initially, I thought it was just going to be a continuation of what I, what I had learned during my master's, but I realized that it was a was a bit higher and uh, it was a bit different from what I had learned. So I had to learn more mathematical concepts. And for PhD, they were not really interested in the results, but rather how you got the results. And so they're interested in you explaining the mathematical oh. equations behind what you have done instead of just telling them that, okay, this is the result. This is what the result means. Oh, okay. And I would All say right. probably because, probably because I also found myself in the mathematics department. And so they are much more interested in the mathematics than just your output or your results yeah so yeah all right now let's yeah. move to your living in the uk did you have any cultural shocks when you arrived in the uk cultural shocks yes i had a few but then the key one was you know using titles in the in academia because i had worked in the university of ghana for over nine years before going you have yeah. to refer to everyone as professor or doctor. And if you don't do that, you actually get some query or, you know, you get into trouble by, by not referring to your senior person with their, by their title, by their prof professorship title or their doctor, doctoral titles. Yeah. When I got to the UK, I realized I was doing the same thing with my supervisors and my postdocs that were around me. And within a week, all of them sat me down and corrected me and said, no, I'm a colleague. And so I should call them by their first names. I was so surprised. I still couldn't do that for... <laughs> I, I was still calling my supervisor prof and he told me that anyway he likes it because I I, I remind him that he's still a professor so <laughs> but then <laughs> but then I shouldn't bother calling him prof prof all the time and that we are all just colleagues here trying to 
learn. So I've got to that level where now I can relate to them on a first name basis. And so, yeah, yeah. It's, sometimes I even feel yeah. I'm, I'm getting a bit too comfortable with them, but then hey, <laughs> I, I, I try to know where to draw the line actually. So. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. I must say I had a similar um, feeling or a similar experience where, you know, um, they asked, they introduced themselves and they asked that you call them on first name basis. I know that this lady has a PhD, but she still wants me to call her Rose or uh, modeling, you know, without acknowledging yeah. the professor or the doctor that the PhD that, you know, she has earned. So that was also very interesting. And and it's, it's, it's interesting that we both come from a similar background from, you know, where we yeah. come from, you have to call them doctor or professor. Yeah. Yes. If you don't do that, you get into trouble. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, those, yeah, so that's, that, that was the key. That was the key shock that I had because because I had I'd had the opportunities to travel. Some of the some of the shocks I had them earlier on. So. Okay. Was <laughs> this one? Yeah. So the weather was okay yeah. for you. You were able to find your yeah. Ghanaian ingredients. Yes, and so initially when I moved to the UK, I was living with my sister in London, and so finding Ghanaian food to eat wasn't a problem. But when I eventually found my apartment in Brighton that I had to move closer to campus, rather than where I was living, I couldn't find any any of the local Ghanaian ingredients. So I couldn't eat any of the local stuff, unless maybe weekends when I travel back to my sister's place in London before I got yeah. some local stuff. And so those are some of the some of some of the things I didn't like about the place because they, they didn't have a lot of variety when it when it came to food. Yeah. And even when they had variety, the kind of foods they had were not things that I wanted to eat actually. Mm. Once in a while my sister and her husband do travel all the way down south to Brighton to come see me. And when they are coming, oh, that's lovely. They they always bring food stuff. So I always feel like it just reminds me of my secondary school days back in Ghana. Yes. Where your parents come and visit you on weekends and bring you some good jollof or something. <laughs> that's true that's yeah. true what about among your peers what did people have any stereotypical views about where you are coming from or you as an individual and did did you form any about the circle that you found yourself in or the community that you found yourself in well not really except except okay. for one occasion where well, except for one occasion where i was chatting with someone and they said oh so are you really from africa because you speak so well and i said yes <laughs> Uh, so I just I just smiled and said yes. Where I'm coming from, the only difference between where I'm coming from and the UK is the snow and the weather. That's all. That's all yeah. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. So do you have since you've shared this, do you have any memorable event that you have experienced as an international student? Um, it could be negative, positive. Well, well, one of them I would say is the culture of going out every Friday night to go drink drink a few beers and drink a few, you know, whatever, whatever. And there was this day where I actually went and they were forcing me to drink and I was telling them, yeah, look, I don't want to get drunk because I've never got drunk before. And so I don't know how I'm going to react when I get drunk. Yeah. And they kept pushing me. And so I just had to just take my bag and just leave. <laughs> and after that, after that experience, I'm sure most of the guys in the department thought I was very antisocial. And so they were, they were no longer calling me to join them for you know, the Friday nights and stuff. But then at a point I realized that because of that, I was losing that, you know, camaraderie or friendship between yeah. other people in the department. So sometimes I had to join them myself and go, not to get drunk, but then, you know, just go sit there and chat with them. Sit and laugh there. So, yeah. 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 Okay. Oh, that's interesting. So how has it been like connecting, you know, with family and friends back home? 
Um, well, I do, I do connect to some friends. So some friends constantly check on me. And with family, I, I speak to family almost every day. As soon as my wife gets back from work, she calls me and we chat, chat, chat. And then so she has to put the boy to bed and then, you know, she goes to sleep. And so we, we talk, we talk sometimes, but then um, sometimes the issue has been because of the workload and so much um, new things I have to learn. Sometimes I don't communicate a lot throughout the day. Sometimes she expects me to communicate with her, you know, at least twice or thrice a day, but sometimes I don't talk to her till evening. And so it became a problem communication problems you know yeah so there are a lot of a lot of things that i was supposed to tell her i didn't tell her there was a lot of a lot of things she was supposed to tell me that you know she couldn't tell me and so so that gap and we have some issues so, so those are some of the issues that you you would experience if you're having to deal with this long distance marriage or long distance relationship yeah but eventually we all learned that you know our basic problem was communication and so we started uh, working on that and trying to improve you know, the communication. Yeah. And so I think that's that's one thing I have to say to people who are, you know, married but then living in two different places that you know we should try and communicate more often because it does it does really solve a lot of problems and you shouldn't try and keep certain things out away from your partner. You should let them know everything when you are going through some challenges where you are. Let them know. Yeah, don't assume that you know or don't think that you can take care of the problem without telling them because when the when the problem then escalates into something else, then it affects you and affects them as well. And so you should be able to open up and, mm, and talk yeah. to them. Since you've uh, mentioned this and you've, you know, we've started having this conversation, could you share with us some of the strategies and plans that you know you had to intentionally put in place to help the to help the relationship as a whole? Also, um, what I do is whilst I'm at, I'm on campus working. I always make it a point that, you know, I would say, send a hi, say a hello. Okay. And yeah, if sometimes if I run into certain problems at the end of the day, whenever I call, I discuss them with my wife that oh, these are some of the experiences or these are some of the things that happened on campus. or these are some of the problems I'm having with my supervisors. You know, I tell them so she knows that yes, I'm not just over there chilling, but then I'm also having issues. And so okay. it, may, it makes her understand things from, and then also she also shares some of her problems with me. And so the, the strategy here is to constantly communicate and also share some of the problems that you both have with each other. Okay. It, it really helps. Yeah, it really helps. Yeah, otherwise, one, otherwise that... one, party, one party ends up thinking that maybe you are just here relaxing and having fun and not minding me because you're not telling them exactly what is on the ground. You understand? Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, that's very true. One thing that I also experienced was that, you know, sometimes some things happen and you know you want to share it, but at that moment you didn't get the opportunity. By the time you go home and speak in the evening, you had you forgotten, as you mentioned. So what I, I another strategy to add to what you said was, well, I like to journal a lot. So I'll quickly write a note either on my phone or you know the the book I have that speak yeah. to him about this or that. So the book was always a reference point. So like sometimes I'll go through it just to make sure that I've covered everything that I want to share. Oh, okay. Then I remember, oh okay, this is left. I don't. It sounds like a lot of work, but it helped me a lot because you know it happened in the morning, and I know that he's not available to talk to me till about four. And at four, I would also be doing something and not be able to talk to him till eight p.m. So then the writing helped us to 
to, you know, um, remember all the information that, you know, we need to talk about. Something, something just exciting, something funny. But it was good to have that communication and just talk about everything that happened during our day. So that's uh, an additional tip for our listeners out there. Yeah, yeah. So, so how? What about parenting? Because you have you have a child. How was it like doing that from afar? Well, it was it was quite hard because coming coming back home for holidays, I realized that there were certain things that you know you as a man you needed to do to help you know with the child you know with the upbringing of your child. So because as as it stands now, everything was left to my wife and she couldn't be. And as a boy, you know, the boy needs. The father around and so yeah certain things i could just say over the phone do this listen to your mom don't do this be a good boy but then sometimes you're not able to enforce some of the things because otherwise if you're not able to physically come and enforce those things the children grow up without that you know discipline and they can they can go wayward and so yeah parenting has not been easy and so one of the strategies is if you want to really do this and make it work, I think it would be best to move with your family and not just leave your family somewhere and just go and sit somewhere else and do your PhD. But then it's 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 not been easy, but God being good, I mean, we have a son who is not very rough or very wayward, but then calm and understands. And so we tell he tell him certain things and he understands. Yeah. Apart from the fact that he's a growing toddler now and he now, he now <laughs> asks a lot of questions. And so yes. you ask him, yeah. don't do this. And then he asks you why. <laughs> and then when you tell him why he shouldn't do it, he ask you why again, and then you know, <laughs> probing so much and asking so many questions, and then Question. sometimes you find it, yeah, you find it impossible to answer some of the whys. But then it's 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 all part of parenting. But then it's interesting, though. It's yeah. Interesting. It's, so um, I think it's fair at this point to say thank you to all um married couples or partners or spouses who are back home doing some of the hard work on our behalf so that you know we can continue our studies or eddie what do you think yes yes i really love to really congratulate them and say thank you so much for all the hard work actually you've been doing because coming coming home to see what is actually happening on the ground i, I really appreciate my wife a lot for all that she has done because I used to take some of the things she says or tells me for granted until I until I came here and I'm seeing it for myself. And I realized that she goes through a lot. For instance, with this interview currently going on, I have my young boy here constantly pestering me about some YouTube video that is not working. And I need to <laughs> attend to him or he comes and say, I'm hungry, I want some food. And so I had to give him some excuse that I'll join him very soon. And it's not easy, even with, yeah. with schoolwork. You know, with schoolwork, I'm trying to do some schoolwork whilst I'm on, I'm on I'm on vacation here, and he won't allow me. He also wants to press the computer and also do things on the computer whilst I'm also working. And <laughs> yeah, it's not easy. So yeah, I I'm beginning to appreciate them. And so thank you very much for your efforts and all the hard work. Yeah, thank you to them. So talking about the you know the difficulty. So I'm assuming because of COVID, he's in the house. How has COVID impacted your work um as a phd student and your family okay so my family back at home initially before i moved before i came back here for holidays we had a nanny and so the nanny was helping a lot with the child at home and so my wife could go to work because she's a medical doctor so she was one of the frontliners and so she she constantly had to go to work but then she she put in some protocols so that when she comes back from home nobody goes near her or nobody touches her and she undresses right at the door and leaves all her clothes outside and then comes to disinfect herself before yeah. she allows the child to come close to her and all that. Well, for me, I brought, well, I had to, I was stuck in my room throughout. 
Um, the only negative side was that before the lockdown, I could walk to a postdoc or a colleague PhD student in his office and just ask him some few questions and, you know, and then we take some paper and pen and then illustrate some few things for me. But then since you're now in your room and you don't have that contact again and you try to contact people and they're also busy on other Zoom calls, it, it slowed it slowed me down a bit. Yeah. Because in, in the past where I could just go to those people to explain certain things to me and then I come and continue my work and I had to schedule an appointment with them and sometimes you don't get to even have the meeting with them. And so you struggle a lot on your own because you're just stuck in your room trying to understand some mathematical concepts and trying to you know implement them and all that. So it's, it's not been easy. But then aside that, um, the university did make some provisions for us. And so they allowed us to go to campus to pick up if you needed an extra monitor or any other device that you think on campus that you can use at home to make life or to make work easy for you. They allowed us to. All you need to do is talk to the facilities manager and then they give you the permission to go onto campus and pick them up. And I would say I'm also grateful to my supervisors. They've also been good for, on one occasion, I needed an external keyboard because I couldn't use a keyboard on my laptop. And my supervisor drove all the way from his house and brought me a keyboard in my, in my house. And so I'm very thankful for, you know, good supervisors, actually. Apart from the negative side of not being able to interact with people, the school actually gave us the opportunities to go to campus because for PhD and other postgraduate students, we had our own offices. And we had some devices in our office, like uh, computer monitors or keyboards or, you know, external hard drive that made work easy for us. And so they gave us the opportunity to go to campus, to go pick those things and come and use them at home. Okay. Yes. And then on, on one occasion when I needed, when my keyboard was 14, I needed a new keyboard. My supervisor actually drove all the way from his place to my house to actually bring me a keyboard. Lovely. Place, yes. Yeah. And yeah. so that was, that was really, that was really good. And so I'm thankful to having good supervisors who go out of their way to support their students here. Yeah. And so, yeah. so apart from not being able to interact with people like we used to, I mean, the university tried to make work easy for us by making sure we had a working environment at home that could okay. make us continue our, our work, yeah, our school work. Yeah, so it's fair to say that you had support for your work. Yes, I did. I did have support for my work. Yeah. At the point, most of the postdocs that were also helping at the department also had to leave. But uh, getting towards the end of last year, the, my supervisor made sure he recruited a new postdoc to, to help me with some of the things. Because for, okay. some, for some reason, I found it easier talking to the postdocs than going directly to my supervisor to ask him questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned early on that when um, you know, the lockdown started, you were just in your room. So can I ask, how were you able to deal with your mental health? Um, during the COVID, knowing that you were alone, you had to work from home, less contacts with other um, colleagues. How were you able to keep yourself sane, in good health mentally? You yeah, could share so, some tips um, with us. Yeah, so luckily for me, I live in a part of the UK called New Haven, New Haven Harbour, which is close to the sea and close to the harbour and has a lot of parks and you know grasslands. Okay. And so usually if I'm in my room and... I'm getting overwhelmed with work and things are not working out and I'm getting frustrated. Um, I have a bicycle, so I just go out for a ride. Okay. I ride to the harbor. I walk up the hills and go stand there just looking at the sea and, you know, just relax. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I do. So I just, I just give myself a break. Sometimes I do that for continuously for two days. I don't touch any schoolwork at all. I just make sure I just one day I spend the whole day just riding because even though there's lockdown, 
where I live, because it's very far from town, you don't you don't meet a lot of people. So you're almost yeah. always alone. So you can you can easily go out and you don't have to interact with anybody. And so yeah. And so those things were very were really helpful in with my mental health, you know, keeping myself sane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because when you go out there and you go and sit in those green grasses and with the nice beautiful scenery or the beach mm. and all that, it just it just calms you down. Yeah, that's what I go. Sometimes yeah, sometimes, you know, because my wife was also and the child were also at home on lockdown. She had reduced shadows. In okay. the afternoon we call and then yeah, in the afternoons we call each other and we just talk, talk, talk. And have you know, with the with talk. the phone with the phone apps, they have this game that you can make faces and you know, make emojis and things and I do that <laughs> with the boy. We all laugh yeah. and we have fun and then yeah. So that's it. So it's it's always good to give yourself a break anytime you you know, you realize that you're not able to perform or you are you're having some challenge with your research, it's, it's good to just take a break. If if you can go for a walk, go out for a walk. If you can go for a bicycle ride, go out for a bicycle ride. And, you know, just, and don't think about the work. Think about other stuff, you know. Yeah, think about other stuff. For me, sometimes when I'm walking around and, you know, the, the UK has a lot of history, actually. And they have, they have this good culture of maintaining and keeping their historical sites and buildings yes. and things. And so usually when I go out for those walks, I see some of those buildings and some of those parks and some of with the plaques and things written on them. And so, you know, I still, I keep thinking, you know, how these people were able to maintain all this rich history and, you know, how people survived in those days when they were having, you know, during the Second World War. Because I live by the harbour and it's one of the defence sites for the Second World War. So we have a lot of artifacts there. And so I think about those things and also go online and read about them sometimes. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, just just to clear. Just so to, to clear all our listeners out there, yes, Eddie has given us the advice, take a break from your studies. Take a break, go out for a walk, go out for a ride on your bicycle, enjoy some, you know, nature, and it helps to refresh your mind, and then you can go back to what you are doing. It's very important for our mental health. So this is the link platform again. You are listening to Eddie, and Eddie is a Ghanaian studying in the UK, and he's here telling us, sharing his experiences with us. So you can check out the link platform on Instagram is the link platform. On Facebook is the link platform. Follow us or you can send us an email is the link platform at gmail.com. So Eddie, what yeah. advice would you have for international students and their families or anybody expecting or hoping to be an international student soon? So uh, international students, well, there's usually that fear that because uh, you're not from the country when you come, people might be hostile to you or you see a lot of news on the TV and internet about, you know, racial, um, racial discriminations and things. But those things are there, but then it's not as rampant as it is. And they're actually very nice people when you, when you go out there. That can really help you and make life easy for you. So you shouldn't be afraid of those things. And then also one other thing is that because the teaching style and the learning style is different from where we are coming from, when you get to the UK as an international student, you need to quickly learn and adapt to how they learn in this new environment. Okay. Over here, they do a lot of reading, and so you have to do a lot of reading. And you shouldn't, unlike unlike back at home, where the lecturer feeds you almost everything and gives you notes, and you have to chew and pour the notes before you pass the exam. It's not like that over here. Over here, it's, it's much more practical. And so you have to read on your own, and you need to learn how to you know apply things instead of just trying to chew the theory. And don't expect any lecturer or any supervisor to spoon feed you. You have to do the work yourself. And so that is one thing you should keep in mind as well. 
Yeah, and then also whilst you're out there, it shouldn't be just about the academics. It should, it, it also helps, you know, going out there and also meeting people, interacting with people opens your mind and it gives you some form of exposure. Yeah. Yes. And one thing I learned in the UK is being, uh, um, being able to tolerate people because they are people of, you know, they are people from all walks of life, different kinds yeah. of people with different ways of thinking and with different lifestyles. And they are not bad people, just that they have chosen to live some lifestyle. And so you should learn how to tolerate and just, you know, dwell, dwell with them. Yeah. So you shouldn't be too narrow-minded or stereotypical about certain things. You should open up and it helps you to learn a lot, actually. Yeah, and, that's and very true. Exposure, yeah. Okay. Thank you. So now one fun thing I do with my guests before they leave is to ask them to share something about their home country. So you are from Ghana. Share something nice about Ghana. Tell us, tell our listeners something nice about Ghana. Well, so something nice about Ghana. Ghana, I, I hardly think people people really do get angry over here because we turn every problem into some form of a comic or some form of a joke and we laugh about it. So recently we had some issues in our parliament and you know there were very serious issues, but then some way, somehow people managed to turn it into some form of a, an internet meme that made. So life over here is very, very easy and very, um, how do I say it? Fun, very calm. Actually. It's fun okay, to be fun. In, yeah, very calm and yeah, fun to be in Ghana and and you learn not to take things too serious and so you know it, it doesn't affect your mental health that much. Yeah. Because sometimes people people like to take things too serious and you know it affects you, it affects your whole mood and it affects your mental health and so you know it, in Ghana we don't do that a lot. Even though we, I'm not saying that people are not serious here, but then the way we live our lifestyle doesn't make us you know you know you live you live life and live free of any any issues or any burdens, you know, you should be able to open up and live your life free. And then one other thing I like about Ghana is the food. We have some of the best foods here. And so you should come to Ghana and come and enjoy our weather and also enjoy our food. Food. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. So on that note, we uh, bring our interesting conversation to an end, the link platform again. And I have been joined by Eddie and Eddie is doing his PhD in the UK. He's Ghanaian. And he just shared very, very interesting things with us on long distance marriage, mental health, and he shared interesting facts about Ghana. So thank you so much, Eddie, for joining us on the link platform. Thank you listeners. And we hope you had a wonderful time with us. Thank you and see you soon. Bye. Yeah, thank you too. Bye.